Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along as I read from God's holy word. The Bible says, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. But my conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. I want us to consider some thoughts tonight from a Bible study titled, Don't Worry What People Think. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'd strengthen my body and my mind, God. Teach us what you'd have us to know, Lord. I pray for our young people, God, and our children's church and our youth group, Lord, that you would bless them tonight, encourage their faith, stir up their faith, God. Fill them with your spirit. Teach us tonight as adults, Lord, what you would have us to know is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Bible study. Wednesday night. I'm glad you came out. Bible study is not really popular for a lot of people because Bible study takes effort. Bible study takes work. I told y'all for years, the thing that I tell my boys constantly, three things, read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. I believe that those are things that you have to take personal responsibility for. You can't push that off on someone else. You need to read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. Every day when you get up, you've got to go out and do the best that you can, no matter how the cards are stacked, no matter how the dice fall, you've got to go out and do the best that you can every day. We live in a world where there are video cameras everywhere. There are video cameras filming this church right now, 24 hours a day. There are cameras filming cars going through red lights. And if there's not a camera, a government camera, if Big Brother doesn't have eyes on you, somebody pull out a cell phone and take a quick video of you. And we live in a world where we are under a microscope as God's people. Now, pastors have had to do this from the beginning. Pastors have always lived, as it were, in what they call a glass house, where everyone's always nitpicking and judging and criticizing and looking for Uh, something to find fault with in the pastor. Now, let's just study, let's just throw out some uh, ideas. Let's see if we can get to the root of the matter. Why do people want to find fault in their pastor or another Christian? Why why would they want to do that? To feel better about themselves. Now, here's that, that's the basis. That's the motive according to people who study behavior. That's the motive, according to people who, um, psychiatrists, psychologists tell you that people want to find something wrong with you so it makes them feel better about themselves. But let me tell you, it doesn't. That's what their mind is telling them. Well, if I can say that I'm better than Andrew, I don't have to feel better about me. Well, if Andrew is, you know, if he's running an 11-minute mile and I say I'm faster than him, that don't make me fast. You know, I, I, I can hold on to the fact that the last home run derby that we had in the church, I came in second. I was a much younger man, and I came in second to a much younger Deacon Jimmy Rich, and he was a, he was a softball-hitting stud back then. I don't think he can hit it quite as far now as he used to. He thinks he can, uh, but he's, he's still all in times 10. But, you know, if I compare myself to that, there wasn't any shame in that. I mean, we, we had over 25 people in this contest, and I came in second to a guy who hit the ball a really long way. Now, if you come in second to a 92-year-old man in a softball contest, then you really, you know what I'm saying. It shouldn't make you feel better about yourself. But I want you to think about whether you're on the giving end or the receiving end of criticism and condemnation. Because these things run hand in hand. 
Are you on the giving end of it or are you on the receiving end? Because I want you to know, neither one of those are acceptable before God. Some of you might have some people in your life that are on the giving end. They like to go around and criticize. They like to go around and condemn. They like to point their finger at you and, and, and point out everything that's wrong with you. Those are the givers. You might be a receiver, but it's not good to be a receiver either because if you receive someone else's criticism, then you are placing condemnation on yourself and you're carrying a load that God never allowed you to give because if you allow people to criticize you, that can put condemnation on you. And God's not into criticism or condemnation. That's, that's the whole message right there. I'm going to keep talking, but I want you to get that. Don't be criticizing people. And if people criticize you, don't allow it to become condemnation in your life because this is not God's plan. You don't have to let someone else have an opinion of you that carries any weight with you. Paul had this mastered. We're going to look at this in just a moment. Paul had this figured out. Now, my sister and I could tell you one-liners forever about what our stepfather, who hated us, used to say. We can tell you, and they sound funny now, but mean and hateful beyond compare. Things that he would say to us about how stupid we were, how worthless we were, how ignorant we were, um, just all the time, all the time. It was just nonstop criticism. And you say, well, was it really that bad? It really was, but I had to realize later in life, this man was raised physically and verbally abused in an orphanage where he was criticized all the time, where they were mean to him all the time. He left the orphanage, got in trouble with the law, and was given the option that they used to give men back in those days, go in the military or go to jail. So he went in the military and was sent straight over to Vietnam. So he left an orphanage to a jail to Vietnam. All this dude knew was, you know, wild madness in his head. He wasn't a warm and fuzzy dude. And I can tell you that when children are exposed to high level of criticism, they're really not emotionally equipped to be able to defer that and know how to deal with it. The Apostle Paul was equipped. He knew how to deal with criticism without allowing it to cause him to take on condemnation. Children are not equipped to do that. Be careful how you criticize children. Are you following me? Because if you're one of those givers of criticism, and you might not mean to be, when you've been raised around that yourself, I, I've told Dina, I've told my staff forever, it is very difficult for me and that's why it's so much fun for me to take a step back I, I let the staff do their thing I don't micromanage our staff I don't make them punch a clock I don't know when they come and when they go they have assignments they have jobs to do and they get it done I don't choose to micromanage people because if I did they would not enjoy it and I wouldn't enjoy it either because I have a Johnson eye right there I've got an eye that misses nothing and it, it's not my desire, but in everything we've ever done, we've always been a building church. We've always been a growing church. We've had several different locations. We've relocated these chairs several times. I can tell you right now, right now, which of these aisles has an improper gap in them, which of them are off-centered. I can tell you which one of those banners aren't hung straight. When I walk into a room, Dina will say, Pastor, why don't you come see what we did in the sanctuary? And I walk in and boom! The first thing that jumps out at me is not how awesome everything looks. The first, I'm not asking it to jump out at me. The first thing that jumps out at me is what's hung crooked or what chair is out of place. That just comes from years of having that drilled into me. That's why I was so effective in the military because I knew how to do what I was told with precision. So if you've been raised with people having a foot on your neck, you need to be careful because you probably are prone to be a giver of criticism that you might not even want to be that can cause other people to feel condemnation that you care about, especially kids and people that live in your home or with you. Listen to what the Bible says in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, chapter 3 
Paul was talking about how some of y'all are blowing me up and some of y'all are blowing Apollos up. Y'all are proud of me. Y'all are proud of him. They, they were, there was a, a competition on who the better preacher was, who the better bishop was, who the better overseer was. Paul said it's not about that. We're just both servants in the Lord. It's kingdom. He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. We're not in competition. We're not here to compete with each other. We're here to complete each other. Verse 1 says, so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. I told you, Paul was equipped <clears throat> to know how to deal with criticism. And not only that, but to know how to deal with life. He had it figured out. He was anointed by God for his generation to do what God had called him to do. And he knew it was not about the car he drove. Of course, they didn't have cars, so he definitely knew that. It wasn't about having the latest laptop. It wasn't about having the latest wristwatch with all the gadgets on it that, you know, plugs into your computer. It wasn't about who had money, how he looked. Apollo's way better looking than Paul. Paul was way deeper theologically than Apollos, but Apollos was a better speaker than Paul. But the people loved Paul more because they knew he was down for it to the death. And that's the thing that people want most out of their leader. They want to know that, you know, if, if we're going to die in this thing, the leader's going to die with us. That's what they said about Patton and why his leadership was so successful because the people that fought with Patton knew that he was just as willing to die as he was expecting them to die for the cause. And so there was this supposed competition the people made. And people still make that competition now. I had a man ask me today, who's my favorite preacher? <laughs> he found out I was a pastor. So he's asking me about different preachers, and I was like, mm, I'm not, not, I don't really listen to him. I don't really listen to him. And he's like, well, who's your favorite preacher? And he thought I was being smart, Alec, but I said Jesus. He didn't like my answer. But that's my answer. Um, nobody else deserves to be on that level. You know why? Because everyone else, look at verse 1, is a mere servant. Paul was the most anointed man on the planet. Apollos was the most popular preacher in the region. I mean, this was the Joel Osteen and the T.D. Jakes of their day. These were the two guys that everybody knew. And they understood. Well, let's say Paul understood. It's not about fame, fortune, or popularity. I find my identity in just being a mere. Mere means nothing more than. Nothing more than a servant. Now, Paul was the most anointed man on the planet. God used him to write half the New Testament. He had a greater anointing on him than anybody walking on the earth at that time. And this is what he knew about himself. I'm nothing more than a servant. Don't, don't look at me. Don't look at Apollos and, 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 and try to pedestal us because we're just servants. We've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, Paul went on to write in Corinthians about different gifts and, and different abilities and things that God would have us to do. You know, everybody plays a part, and you need to figure out what your part is. Paul knew what his part is. Paul had been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Paul was a teacher. Paul was a preacher of the word of God. He knew what his role was. I want you to find out what your role is in the kingdom. You say, well, I'm not really sure. I told you. I've, I've said this for years, and, and we need to reinstill it in the life of the fabric of abundant life, that if you don't have an active ministry because you're not sure where you want to serve, you are automatically inducted into the smiles ministry. If you don't have a, maybe you, maybe you just don't feel like you don't have the time right now. Maybe you're not sure exactly what to do. Maybe you're waiting on new members class. Maybe you've got a couple things you want to get out of the way. Listen, the devil always puts something in your way to prevent you from jumping into ministry. But if you're not sure exactly where to plug into ministry, I want you to know that you are a 17-star um, general in the Smiles ministry. You're the chairman and the head of the, the committee. You're, you're, you're the uh, senior elect person in the committee. And when you come into this church, you need to make up your mind that everybody I see, I'm going to smile at them. You know why? Because life's hard. We've had people come into our church with suicide notes written. 
and they were going home to, to end it all. But someone was kind to them, and, and it gave them a, a second to breathe and let God grab their mind. You can't imagine the weight people are under. You, can't, you don't know what people are going through, and you need to make sure that you're playing a role in this feast we just talked about, positivity. You need to make sure you're playing a role in what God says his kingdom is, righteousness, peace, and joy. You need to be helping people live a better life, a more peaceful life, a more joyous life. You can't, listen, the devil will pervert anything for his purpose. My sister and I are not physically shaped in our face uh, like some people who just wear a permagrant. If you look at me or Dina, and we're just sitting there not thinking, our mouth goes like this. Down. Yeah, smile so they don't see it. And so our whole life has been and will continue to be, you okay? You mad? What you mad at? You mad, are you? Why are you looking like that? I've had so many people ask me, why am I looking like that? I said, it's the best I can do. That's all I got. <laughs> you know, I want to say, you know, I'm already better looking than you, and I got swag over top of you all day long. You worried about how I'm looking. How you looking? I mean, just be real about it. I mean, you want to stand in the mirror and pose this off? How, I'm, how you looking? But everybody is not naturally just walking around with a big smile on their face. And you don't know how to devil. You might be one of those people that when you sit there, you just, but the way your mouth is shaped, even if you're not a stoic personality, even if you're just not quiet and studious, you, you just might have a shaped mouth where people think, man, do you, you, you feel that tension? I walked past that dude. He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. Nobody looking at you like they wanted to kill you. The devil put that in your mind. She scowled at me. This is what the enemy wants people to think. Not one person in that whole church spoke to me. They didn't even look at me. Nobody smiled at me. That's stuff that's in your head. And you need to reject it. You don't need to wear it. Somebody criticized you at some point, and that's in your head. And you need to make sure that if, you don't, if you're not serving in ministry anywhere, and even if you are serving in ministry everywhere, you need to make a conscious effort to smile at people and to be pleasant to people when we come on these grounds. Especially in a place where the preacher's going to preach the truth no matter what. Y'all need to be the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. That's real. Y'all, y'all need to be nice to these people that come on these grounds because I'm not here to be nice to anybody. I'm here to tell the truth. I, I'm, I'm here to serve broccoli. I'm here to serve collard greens. I'm here to serve Brussels sprouts. I'm not here to serve cotton candy and and jelly beans. I'm here to give people the real, raw, unadulterated truth, uh, no fear uh, of man, not seeking fame or fortune, not, not compromising on anything. That type of preaching is not readily acceptable by easily offended people. I, I told some friends of mine, I, 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 told, I said, I, God put on my heart to say such crazy, wild things on Sunday. I preach such, such, such difficult things to say. I don't even know if anybody's coming back on Sunday. But do you realize that if the church body would love on the church body, be nice to each other, be sweet to each other, They're not going to wear their emotions on their sleeves so much if you're hugging them and making them feel better. Okay, so you need to know your role. All of our role is to help advance the kingdom. Paul had a role to advance the kingdom. He knew what his part in that was. He knew that he had been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. My job is to give myself to prayer, study of the word, cast vision, and oversee this church. Your job, according to the New Testament, is to do the work of the ministry. That's loving on people. That's encouraging people. That's making sure that people want to come back. See, here's what you need, here's what you need to tell people. If somebody says, uh, man, that, that, that Deacon Jimmy sitting up front, he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. 
Oh, no, he's a good dude. You just don't know him. You need to learn how to edify and build up and encourage because people are beat up all week long. Now, picture somebody beat up all week long because I can promise you this. This is never going to be the message. And I've asked God in tears, on my face, on the floor, God, why, why won't you give me a sweet, easy, loving, everybody's going to be happy with me and think I'm awesome message. But he's not going to do it. It's never going to be my message that God's so proud of you in your mess and um, just, 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 you know, friends, God loves you and he's so glad you're only drinking, you know, 18 beers tonight instead of 30. God, God's so proud of you because you're only whoremongering with six women instead of nine. That's never going to be my message. That's not the message God has put in my heart. I'm going to tell people the truth. And if they're coming in already upset, if they're coming in already biased, if they're coming in already sketchy, and no one loves on them, no one smiles on them, no one encourages them from the, the chairs, it's going to make a very difficult job. See, because the Bible says if you rebuke a fool, if you instruct or correct a fool, he'll hate you. That's a lot of people in the world fit into those categories. So we've got to make sure that we got a good smiles ministry going. We've got to make sure that we all know our role in building God's kingdom. Paul knew his role, explaining God's mysteries. Look at verse 2. He says, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. You might look at that and think that Paul's still talking about him and Apollos, but contextually Paul is talking to the people at Corinth, and he wanted them to know that everybody's in charge of something. See, he's choosing a humble role. He's saying, I'm just a servant. You guys are servants too. I have a role. You have a role too. God is the owner. We're just managers, but we've all, we're all managing something. Your house might be bigger than mine. My house might be bigger than someone else's. Somebody might not have a house. You, you might only have one pair of shoes. You might have two pair of shoes. Whatever you have, you have by the grace of God, and he expects you to take care of it. Whatever talent you have, you may feel like you're the most gifted human being on the planet. You may feel like you're the, most, the least talented person that ever lived with no gift and no purpose for life. Listen, the Bible teaches that we all have a gift and we all have a purpose. You have a part to play in building God's kingdom. You need to figure out what it is and you need to be faithful with it. It's required, it's, uh, the King James says, that we be faithful. Verse 3, then Paul goes on. Because Paul was a human being that was on his journey. And I've told you before, the average senior pastor stays between 18 and 36 months. Because they can't bear the scrutiny. Because after you've stayed somewhere for more than a year or two, they started to smell your stink by then. They started to figure you out and realize, uh, he might not be as good as we thought he was when he came. See, and, and, and abundant life, you smell distinct faster than a lot of churches. Let, let me tell you how, how it happens for most people at abundant life. Most people come in, they hear my style of preaching, and they say, I love Pastor Scott's teaching. It's just real. It's in your face. It's raw. It's relevant. It's right now. It's, it's man, he's just right there. And it's a, ref, it's a refreshing from all these watered-down sissies in pulpits everywhere that aren't saying anything. So people come in, and it's like a cup of water. In a, in a dry desert place. But after you stay for a month, two, six months, a year, that what used to feel like a cool drink of refreshing now feels like me throwing a cup of cold water in your face every time you walk in the room. Because it goes from I love what he's saying to who's he think he is saying that to me? Because he's not perfect either. And these were people Paul had been talking to for a long time. And he's letting them know, don't prop me. I'm, hey, I'm not the owner, I'm just the manager. Don't shoot the messenger, I'm just here to tell you the story. I'm trying to do the best I can and stay faithful. But they were dogging him. They were critiquing him. They were criticizing him, but he was too wise to allow their criticism to cause him to crumble under condemnation. So he said in verse 3, as for me, now this is contrasting because he's talking to them, telling them what to do. He's telling them, you got to figure out your part. You've got to be faithful in it. Let me tell you how I'm handling it. 
He said, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. Now, there's a defensiveness in that statement. There is a defensiveness in that statement. There is an inference of somebody who has been criticized repeatedly that would have to be there for someone to make this statement to a group of people in church. For someone just to come out flat-footed and say, I ain't studying y'all and I don't care what you think about me. There's somebody who's been criticized. For somebody to come out and say, it don't matter to me, I could care less. That's what he's saying. It matters very little. How it might be a value? I could care less what you think about me. What your evaluation of me is, or by any human authority. There appears to be a higher level of defensiveness there than is really there. But that's not the part that you should focus on. That's not what you should see. You should see the wisdom and the equipping of an anointed man of God filled with God's spirit. Somebody who was wise to criticism and letting people know, I'm not going to let your criticism of me weigh me down. Because I'm not going to sign your check for you. I'm not going to co-sign on your foolishness. My back is hurting me so bad, I don't know if I want to stand up or sit down. I'm not going to co-sign on your foolishness about me. This is what he's saying. And you need to learn how to be this type of believer. You need to learn how to be this type of believer that, you know, in the old church we say you can talk about me just as much as you please, but I talk about you on my knees. I don't wear your criticism of me. Now, I can if I'm not focused on God. If I'm not full of God's spirit, I, I, I will be more in touch with my flesh. See, here's the thing. The Bible says that if you're truly walking in the spirit, you are dead to yourself. All right? A friend of mine used to work at Fraser Funeral Home on Normandy Boulevard. It was his job to sleep with the dead people at night. So nobody come in and mess with him. Pretty weird job. Got paid to sleep. But it's a little spooky, though. So I used to go up there sometimes, check on him. we watch a you know, ball game. They had a TV up there and hang out. Dead people all the way around. It's a little sketchy. We are walking around with some friends one night, eyeballing all the bodies. And somebody was like, oh, and he told, he told them, they can't hurt you. There's people out there that can hurt you. He said, watch. Ah! And he jumped at the dead person. They jumped. The dead person didn't jump. He said, I can slap this person. I can throw water on them. They won't even move. Because a dead person doesn't react. Even to abuse. A dead person doesn't react to criticism. A dead person doesn't react to praise. A dead person doesn't react at all. Because they're dead. And God wants us to be dead to our fleshly emotions and alive to him. And that's why Paul was able to say, y'all don't even know. Y'all are trifling. I ain't studying y'all at all. I could care less what you think. It matters nothing to me. And, but why? He said, I don't even trust my own judgment about judging me. Now, that's just, that should sound weird to you. This is a brilliant man. This is See, most of the people that God chose were ignorant and unlearned men. Most of the people that God chose were fishermen, commoners, most of the people that God chose were, the Bible says, the off-scouring, the bottom of the barrel, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise have been called. God chose to take the lesser things of the earth, put his power and his glory in us to make him look good, not us. Well, Paul was the rare exception. Paul wasn't the diamond in the rough. He was the diamond in front of everybody's eyes. He was the most educated man. Um, he came from the right side of the tracks. He had the right lineage. He had the right pedigree. Um, but he realized he was nothing more than a servant. But even with all this stuff going on, Paul said, y'all want to know why it doesn't bother me what y'all think about me? I don't always think good about myself. Now imagine that. The most gifted Christian on the planet. Why would he be able to say, I don't even always feel good about my own life. I don't even always feel like I'm doing things right. Anybody know why he would be, feel that way about himself? Because he wasn't always doing everything right. And he knew he wasn't where he needed to be. 
And he knew he had a long journey to go. He knew he was a work in progress. He knew he had issues. He knew he needed to get better. He knew that he didn't always say and do the right thing. And that's why he said, I don't care what y'all think about me. I got my own self-condemnation to deal with. I don't even trust my own, my own evaluation of myself. But in verse 4, he said, my conscience is clear, comma. Always pay attention to the punctuation. He's going through all this stuff. Tell him, I don't care what you think about me. Got my own struggles in my own head. Thinking about myself. Then he says something inside this offset bracket with this comma. My conscience is clear. That's where you need to get. See, because if people are criticizing you, but your conscience is clear, you can't do this on anybody. If people are criticizing you, but your conscience is clear, so what? Think what you want to think. I know me, and my conscience is clear. And this is where we need to get to. See, because you're going to get criticized. The devil wants somebody to come criticize you, and he wants you to wear it as condemnation. And you have a tendency, we all do, to be self-critical and to bring condemnation on ourselves. The key to overcoming that is a clear conscience. You already know you're not perfect. But if you know you're stinking raggedy, how are you going to look at yourself in the mirror? You need to be three steps above stank, amen? I just think you need to be three steps above stank and moving in the right direction. I think you need to be three steps above horrible and moving in the right direction. Now, I'm not saying justify it by saying you're better than somebody else. Know in your own heart and in your own mind, I know I'm doing my best. So I don't have to worry about what other people think about me. I'm going to tell you what. If I worried about what people think about me, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have this building. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be a ministry. Because people are always going to talk. Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you. They hated me first. Jesus said, you're always going to have trouble in life. The man's days are few and full of trouble. Paul knew that. But he said, my conscience is clear. This is where we need to get to as believers. Get yourself a clear conscience. So when people try to come and criticize you, think that if you want. I know me. You can't imagine the joy that comes from that. You can't imagine. I had, I had one of my kids say something to me just today. Well, what if somebody was to say so-and-so about you? I said, let me tell you something, son. They can't pin nothing on me because I ain't done nothing. Now, you can get accused, but you can't, get, you, you can't be found guilty unless you've been guilty in God's eyes. Now, the court system is a different story. But if you know that you're doing the best you can do, then you can live with a clean conscience. And I can tell you what, that will overcome people's criticism of you. And you'll be able to let it run off you like water off a duck's back. And you'll be able to be like Paul. Eh, y'all just run your mouth talk. Go ahead. Oh, Paul, Paul, Paul said, it doesn't matter to me what you think about me. I got a higher one than you that judges me. God judges me. He said, my conscience is clear, comma. That, that, that was his first point. And then he said, but that doesn't prove I'm right. Smart man. Wise man, anointed man, Christian man. He knew just because he felt good about it didn't mean he was right all the time. Ain't nothing worse than being dead wrong and feeling all right. Some people just dead wrong feeling all right. Be smart enough to know if you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't be walking around acting like everything's you know, fine and dandy like hard rock candy when you know you, you live in dirt. Repent. Clean your conscience up. Strive to do the best so you can say, I, I, I don't know if I'm, 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 I'm right about everything, but I know my conscience is clear. And then he says in the next sentence, it's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. <laughs> it's not you. And it's not even me. I, I got to drown out. We all have to drown out criticism for outsiders. We have to drown out criticism from ourselves. We have to get in a place where our conscience is clear. 
so we will be equipped to deal with whatever criticism comes our way and we can know ultimately that the Lord is going to be the one to make the decision on me. Now, I don't advocate anybody. Uh, I would never advocate. I don't care who you think. I, I saw a thing on MSNBC or MSN uh, Mobile the other day. Ten, ten groups that you might not know are Christian. And I'm thinking, if I don't know they're Christian, they're not. You know? I mean, you, you, you got to tell me, uh, well, this rock group is Christian because, and one of them, this rock group is Christian because one of the backup singers um, used to go to church and work in a youth department somewhere. I'm like, that don't make you Christian. So I don't advocate anybody who sings secular music, well, maybe not least of all, but including Tupac. He's still making music, so don't believe the hype anyway. But some of y'all don't know you weren't supposed to. I don't believe the tattoo artists that tried to promote Pac's words that only God can judge me because that's not true in and of itself. The Bible says spiritual people judge everything. It's our job. See, we've taken this judgment thing, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, wrong. The Bible where it says judge not it says, while you've got a log in your own eye, don't judge. Get the log out of your eye, then go help get the splinter out of your brother's eye. You've got to be eye-inspecting your brother to get a splinter out of his eye. We are supposed to help each other. It's like if uh, Elder Rob and I live in the same neighborhood. We've got, um, supposedly, I've never even, I don't think I've ever even stepped on them. You play tennis up there yet? Yeah, me neither. We're paying all that money for the amenities. Neither one of us use them. But... The only hard, true tennis courts on this side of the river. They're a special type of clay that's watered from underground to be the perfect mixture of perfect tennis surface. Never been on them at all. But if you go up there and work with the tennis pro, and he says, watch my swing, what he's saying is judge me. Look at me with a critical eye and see what you see. And then when he says, okay, let me watch your swing. You know what he's doing to you? He's judging you. You know why? Because the only way to get better and the only way to know right from wrong is to judge somebody. Teaching your kids how to swing a bat, how to throw a football. Thinking, Jimmy, you, 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 you got you to gotta be a critical eye on them. You got to look at them and, and, and say, that's not the way you turn your hand over. You're not going to throw a good spiral that way. And you have to judge what's right and what's wrong to make improvement. So it's not just only God can judge me because we can help each other in the area of judgment to make sure that we're walking in the right direction. And God has put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers on the planet to instruct and to correct the body. So don't believe that it's only God, but ultimately this verse says, it is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Decide what? Whether I'm right or wrong. Whether I'm good or bad. Whether I'm better than you think I am or worse than I think I am. See, that's a humbling, sobering, fearful thought. Why? Because you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool Jesus. You can fool the preacher. You can fool the Sunday school teacher. You can fool your boss, your spouse. You can fool a lot of people, but you will not fool God. And God is going to be the one who will examine me and decide. Now, I'm glad that God's examining me because I know his examination will be fair. But I'm super glad that God is deciding about me because I already know what his decision is. His decision is not based on my day-to-day performance. His decision is based on his unfailing and unconditional love for me, whether I do good or bad. So the decision, it's like going to court and having the judge pull you over in the parking lot and say, look, I'm going to let all the lawyers say what they want to say, and I'm going to let you all. Don't sweat it. (laughs) That's a whole different feeling than the average dude sitting there with a public defender. 
If you already know that the judge is on your side and he has the final say, you can sit up there, let them mock and scream and holler and, you know, say whatever they want to say through their whole courtroom. Your whole life, you can let play out however you want to let your life play out if you understand that God has already decided about you. See, while other people are choosing to like you or dislike you, deciding whether they accept you or reject you, based on your performance and whether you do right or wrong, good or bad, in their eyes. God has already decided that you're his child and he loves you no matter what. This ought to give you a certain release in life. This is why Paul was able to say, I'm not upset about my own self-critical nature. I'm not upset about your critical nature. I don't care what you think about me. I don't always even feel good about myself, but I do know this. God's the one that's going to decide about me. He's already made a decision and I'm going to heaven. So ha, ha, ha on you. That's the good news. God's already decided if you call on the name of the Lord, crazy as you might be, jacked up as you might be, burdened and problem, addicted and stressed out and out there as you might be, if you know that you love the Lord and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, his decision cannot be changed. It cannot be appealed. There's no higher court to appeal it to, and he's the one that's going to decide. Be glad that it's not people deciding on you because their judgment is not always fair. And they can decide up one day and down the next, but God has already made his decision. And Paul, that was inside information for Paul. He wasn't sharing with him right now. He was just laughing at him. Y'all think y'all making me upset by calling me names. God's already decided about me. Y'all not my final judge. God is, and I already know what the verdict is. We're just playing out this courtroom scene for kicks. In verse 5, he said, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. Hyphen. Yeah, the pause on the punctuation. Don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. So we shouldn't make judgments about anyone, not just in general, but don't do it ahead of time. So when the time comes, you can do it. This contextually is what this verse is saying. Just don't make judgments about anyone Ahead of time. Okay, well, if I tell you, don't leave the room before it's time. Don't change classes until it's time. Don't quit practice until it's time. Don't go to bed until it's time. Don't wake up until it's time. Don't eat your snack until it's time. Don't don't, don't talk on the phone until it's time. What other piece of information do you need me to give you? The time. You need to know, well, well, when is the time? Well, he tells us when the time is. Before the Lord returns. Don't make judgments about anybody before the Lord returns. Now, there's another hidden caveat that Paul knew that he wasn't sharing about with people because he was laughing at them. You, you got you to read Greek to get all this context. But some of this stuff is tongue-in-cheek. And he knew after the Lord returns... We won't have to worry about anybody making judgments of each other. As long as we don't do it now, we won't get caught up in it. So it's not that it's going to happen then. We'll all get to sit around and bash each other then. He said, don't do it now. Just don't do it until the Lord returns because he knows once the Lord returns, that none of that's going to matter. So we shouldn't be walking around making judgments about anyone. That doesn't say don't judge someone. It says don't make a judgment about them. Totally different thing. People judge everything you do. But if they make a judgment about you, they've summed you up. You can't sum me up. You don't know me like that. I can't sum you up. I don't know you like that. I I can see what you're doing and say it's right or wrong. I can show you scripture that says your actions are right or wrong. But I can't really make a definitive final judgment about you, number one, because I'm not the one to decide, number two, because I don't know you like that. And see, this is where people really get jacked up. Oh, well, I know her. You do. Top to bottom, inside and out. Every thought in her head, you know that already. You don't. And you need to give other people the freedom to grow in Christ that you should want for yourself. People want to judge you. That's going to happen. You're not going to get away from it. They have no right to make a judgment about you because they don't know you like that. They can't see the inside of you. 
there are some people that are struggling right now that love God more than everybody in this room. You might not be able to see it on the outside. I told you all about the Apostle Peter. Jesus asked him. It broke Peter down. Broke him down like a shotgun. He asked him three times after he denied him three times, do you even love me? And Peter was ashamed of his actions. And all those people have been criticizing him and saying, look at Peter. supposed to be all tough and bold. I'll die with you. And all the rest of them might leave you, but I'm going to die with you. And he was the only one that denied him. And Peter was wearing the shame and the guilt knowing what he had done. And the other apostles were criticizing and condemning him. And the third time Jesus asked him, do you even love me at all? He broke down and he said, Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. See, that's who you want making judgment about you, somebody who really knows everything. Because somebody looking at Peter right then could have judged him as a coward, a backstabber. Somebody could have judged him as a betrayer. Somebody could have judged him as somebody who didn't really love Jesus. But Jesus, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So be glad that the one judging you is able to see your thoughts on the inside. Be glad that the one who's making judgment of you knows every thought in your head and what your heart really feels. See, that's bad news for liars. That's bad news for churchy people who are faking it. See, because a lot of church people look really good. They come, they got the 2.5 kids, they drive the right car, their hair's always fixed right. I mean, they, 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 they're always the prominent people everywhere they go, and everybody knows who they are, and, and you know, they say the right thing, and they, they've never, you know, been in trouble that anybody knows about, and they just look like the ideal couple. A large part of those people aren't even saved. Well, how can I know that? Because the Bible says the majority of people aren't saved to begin with, so they're people, so the majority of them aren't saved either. Just because they look good on the outside doesn't mean they got the right things going on on the inside. See, so for the hypocrite and the liar who's fooling everyone into thinking they're such a good, decent, moral, godly, mature, humble, dedicated person, when really on the inside they got nothing good going on at all, they should be scared to death that God knows them on the inside because it's what's on the inside that matters. And that's why God said, don't make judgments. You can't sum people up. Don't do it before the time. Don't do it before the Lord comes back. And the last part of this, he says, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. He's going to bring our darkest secrets to light. Now, you could read commentary on both sides of this equation. You can read your darkest secret as your most evil, wicked secret. But, you know, African Americans in the room ought, ought to be familiar with, understand, and, and accept the fact that dark don't always mean evil. Is that right? It's, it's not always your darkest secret doesn't always paint it as a bad thing. Sometimes it's your most hidden. It's the most, it, it, it's something that's tucked away really deep on the inside that doesn't have any light around it people can't see it so some people will tell you this is your most evil wicked desires when in fact it might just be your deepest desire but the reality is God knows them both and everything in between so God knows what's really deep down on the inside of you and he is going to bring that to light to where everyone else sees it and everyone else knows it. And he's going to reveal our private motives. People take that only in the negative. Oh, that's right. Praise the Lord. One day God is going to bring all your dirt to light. God's going to shine light on your evil. God is going to expose your dark secrets. Well, I can tell you this. I would be so happy and so thankful if God could saw me open right now spiritually in front of the world on CNN and let the whole world see my private motives and my deepest secrets. Because my deepest secrets, my private motives, the thing that's the deepest down inside of me is a true and a genuine and an abiding love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to bring that to light. 
Do you have that? Everybody else is looking at the outside stuff. Everybody else is looking to criticize you. You got to deflect that. You got to say, hey, uh, you know, I don't even trust my own critical nature, but I know God is the one who's going to decide about me, and he's already decided. That's why I ain't making judgments, casting aspersions on other people, uh, because everybody's real motives are going to come out. So here's my question to you. Would you want God to let everybody in this room see your real motives right now? Would you want God to let everybody in this room see what's really deep down on the inside of you? Are you deep down filled with hate, lust, evil, wicked, disaster? While trying to hold it together in front of people and look your best? Or are you deep down filled, filled with a real love and a real heart for God that truly wants to serve him above all else, even when you can't get it right from day to day? You need to know you. Paul knew him. Paul knew his conscience was clear. He knew. You, if, if Paul was happy that the one to make the judgment about him could see the deepest into his soul. If you're a real Christian, that's, a great, that's great news for you because other people might look at you and see your issues, and God will look at you and see your intent. And this is what Paul knew. And then he said in the last sentence, then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. See, we don't live in a brownie system to get to heaven. That's Catholicism. I was born into the Catholic Church, christened in the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church loosely teaches that when you get to heaven, if you've been a good Catholic, if you've been to Mass once, if you've been to confession once, that's the requirement, by the way, according to papal authority, to be a good Catholic. One Mass, one confession in your life, not, not a big requirement. But if you've been to Mass, if you've been to confession one time in your life and you were a good Catholic, that you will be allowed into heaven if you're a horrible, vile, despicable person, you will burn in hell forever. And if you're somewhere in the middle, then, you know, the saints will have to pray you out. And none of that is true because God's not keeping brownie point tracks on who gets into heaven and who goes to hell. And there is no middle ground called purgatory. So when people say God doesn't operate on a brownie system, realize they're talking about for salvation. You can't do enough good things for God to say, okay, now I'm going to let you into heaven because you came to church four times in a row. Now I'm going to let you in heaven because you, you're, you're better than you're bad. No, that's not determined based on good and bad. That's determined on faith. The Bible says, by the keeping of the law, no flesh shall be justified because we're justified by our faith, not by our works. Okay, so when it comes to getting into heaven, God's not keeping track of uh, brownie points to get in, demerits to get kicked out. But when it comes... To what God is going to give you when he comes back. We are on a brownie point system. We are on a brownie point system. The Bible says that you're, there are rewards you can gain. There are rewards you can lose. There are crowns that you can gain. There is favor that you can gain. And the Bible says that when the Lord comes back, he's going to let everybody know what we're really all about. That's good news for me. I thank God for that. I hope you can thank God for it with me. Because then you won't be misunderstood and then people, people won't, won't be casting judgment on you because God will have revealed to everybody who you really are and then God's going to give to each one whatever praise is due. Now, we shouldn't live in a, ah, oh, I can't wait till he gets what he deserves. I can't wait till she gets what she deserves. But you know what we can know? Everybody's going to get what they deserve. The Bible says God is going to right every wrong. He's going to set every crooked thing straight. He's going to shine a light on every dark place. And he's going to bring every hidden motive into the light. You don't have to lose any sleep wondering when your jacked up brother is going to get caught. And why is his life so much better than yours when you know he's, he's not a good person? When the Lord comes back, you're going to get what you got coming to you. He's going to get what he's got coming to him. So I got one minute left, which is awesome. Because this is the last thing I want to say to you. When God saws you open and reveals to you what's really deep down on the inside of you, are you going to be happy with what you see? Is the thing deepest in you 
most overwhelming motivation of your life, your love for God. And when he comes back, letting you in heaven already, but when he comes back to give you whatever praise is due you, whatever benefit and blessing is due you, are you going to get anything or are you going to be left empty-handed? Do you remember Doc Scurry? Spoke in the King's English, Ed White High School. Oh, Mr. Burroughs, it was Mr. Burroughs. Mr. Burroughs would pass out tests to people. Lisa, 79C, adequate. Angelique, 94A, barely. Alyssa, better luck next time. Right? He gave everybody what they were due. And he let everybody in the class know. That's going to happen one day. Jesus is coming back. And he's already decided about you. You need to be happy about that. He already knows what's deep down inside of you. And you ought to be happy about that. But you better be doing something with your life. When he comes back, he's going to give you something. Of honor, not so you can have it for yourself, but as I've taught you many times, so you can give it back to him. Here's the whole deal in a nutshell. God saves us because we believe in him, not because we do good things. But we do good things to earn rewards, so when he comes back, he gives us rewards. So we can turn around and give them to him. So we can say, you love me so much, you came and you gave your life for me. I did the best I could on earth so I could have this to give to you. Why would you want to have nothing to give to the Lord? When he's already told us he's going to come back, he's going to reveal everything. He's already decided about you. But he's going to give everybody what they've got coming to him. If he gives you nothing, then you have nothing to give to him. And I want to have something to give to him. I want my life to count. I don't want to just say that I love him with my mouth and not have anything to present to him at the big party we're going to have in heaven when everybody else is giving their gifts back to the Lord. You're standing over there in the corner wondering why didn't I serve him like I really wanted to. Why didn't I love him like I said I should? Why didn't I get things straight and put him first? Because one day, everybody's going to get what they got coming. I hope you've got something coming. Because I believe that everyone that truly loves the Lord wants to have something to give him when we see him in heaven. He's given us too much for us. To just get in. If you, love, if you love the Lord, if you're saved, you're going to get in. He'll reveal the fact, yeah, you're saved, barely. Go stand over in the corner with all the rest of the people that got nothing to give me. And then after this party is over, we'll all, you know, we'll all wipe our tears from our eyes and we'll be okay. You're like, ain't no crying in heaven. Well, there is crying in heaven. Read the book of the Revelation. It says, then God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. Well, if they're already in heaven and their tears from their, in their eyes in heaven, guess what they're doing? Crying. Guess why they're crying? Judgment. You say, I thought once we're saved, we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear hell. But the Bible says all Christians got to stand before the Lord and give an account for the way they live their life. Stop worrying about what other people think about you. Get a clear conscience in your own life and start building up something that the Lord can reveal when he comes. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the love that you have for us and the love that we have for you. Thank you, Lord, that you judge us and you've decided in our favor that you have covered us with your grace and your mercy and your love and your kindness. 
would help us to be gracious to each other. Help us to extend love and mercy and kindness everywhere we go. Help us to judge nothing before the time. Help us to concern ourselves with our own conscience. Help us to glorify you. And we pray for our nation that you bring healing where there is hurt. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.